Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you to everybody that's that's listening and downloading these episodes. I sure hope that you're finding some benefit from the content. I really do want some feedback from our listeners. Whether you're a client or not, let me know. Send me an email. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn. I'd love to find out what topics you guys want to hear, what questions you may have, questions that we're not answering yet. That'd be awesome. So please let me know. I'd love to know what you guys want to hear about or who you want to hear from. So we're back today with a Squared Away episode. I'm joined by David Stanley and Zach Reynolds. We're going to dive into year to date, what's gone on in the market. Unless you've been under a rock, it's been a noisy, uh, eventful market to say the least. So we're going to dive into all that. We're going to look ahead. We're going to remind you guys of, of where we stand. Again, thank you for joining us. Here's my conversation with Zach and David. David, Zach, thank you for joining me this morning. It's been an interesting start to this quarter as it was to the third quarter, but we find ourselves here in in the middle of October and the market's still being funky. But what what's y'all's initial take as before we kind of dive in here? Well, it kind of set the table. Stocks are in a bear market through the end of the third quarter. S&P's down right around 24%. It's been a rough year in the stock market. The thing that makes this year a little bit unusual is that bonds are having really their worst year in modern history. So very easy explanation as to why interest rates have come up dramatically from near all-time lows. So as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Most bond indexes are down double digits this year. So unfortunately for investors, there's just not been really anywhere to hide. Stocks are down, bonds are down, and even cash, which a lot of people want to hide out in when there's market volatility in a high inflation environment, you know, people sitting in cash this year might lose almost 10% in in real right. purchasing power. Right. So, you know, we had a 10-year run of what some people have called the every, everything rally. So, right, stocks were up, bonds were up, real estate was up. Pretty much anything you could invest in was right. up. This year, we're paying, you know, the price for some of those gains over the All last year. All at the year. same time. All at the same right. time. So it's painful. But, uh, you know, the thing that I like to remind clients is the S&P, even including this year's 24% decline, is up at an annualized rate over the last 10 years of 12%. That's that's well above average. So you must take some risk to earn those sorts of returns and investors are paying that price in terms of risk this year. And I think what you find out too, Zach, is especially in a year where, gosh, we haven't seen this in decades, where fixed income is even negative. Right. And so people I think are pretty mentally prepared. Okay, if I'm in stocks, I'm gonna be up, I'm gonna be down. I don't think people think, man, I should ever be down on my fixed income. And so I think that adds to the fire of, of just the worry. So, so David, uh, you're right. I really haven't had a year in my career when fixed income has had this sort of returns. You, however, were around uh, in 1994. So brutal. What, what was that like? Oh, my God. We had a moment there, I, I believe, obviously not living in this state at that time. <laughs> we're in Texas, but we, uh, it was great company. And you're down 25% on fixed Oof. income. At one point in time that year. <laughs> and and literally, you just had people losing their mind. How could we be down 25? Now, we ended the year pretty good that right. year, but it was a, it was mid-year when everyone wanted to kill who was managing their money in fixed income. So, yeah, we haven't seen anything like that until this year. But it's kind of instructive even to think back to 1994 and 
what happened? You had Fed raising rates, an economy kind of, I believe, wobbling around. We had a recession, what, 92, 93? You know, back half of the 1990s were really, really good. So so the setup there uh, actually allowed investors to enjoy a really good bull market run in the late 90s. And I was saying to you this morning, Zach, I I love how we're kind of set up going into the next several years because now for the first time in so long, we have fixed income helping our portfolios from just a yield standpoint, you know, four plus percent now we're getting on a laddered fixed income portfolio, whereas we would be really thrilled. What would you say? Sub two. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And at the beginning of this year. So when you're doing a financial plan for somebody, you're going, okay, our, our equities are going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Well, this takes some of that heavy lifting off of them because we do believe returns are going to be lower over the next decade. I think they're going to be positive, but I think they're going to be lower than what you just quoted we saw the last right. decade. Yeah. I mean, one of the points I made in the market update that that we just sent out was the setup coming into 2022, you had stock market valuations that were well above average. That doesn't mean, you know, stock market valuations can stay high for a long time. You still earn good returns, but it's one of the reasons we had been cautioning clients that, hey, we don't think this is sustainable forever. It's likely over a longer term period that we're going to see lower returns. And then interest rates were incredibly low and interest rates are very correlated with total returns on bonds over a holding period. So we had very high degree of confidence that bond portfolios were going to be in the one to 2% range. So there's a couple ways to solve those problems from a, you know, asset allocator perspective. If we had just traded sideways for five, six, seven years, you can see earnings increase, but if the stock market stays where it is, those valuations come down naturally. Right. And then interest rates could have gradually risen over time. It wouldn't have been as painful. What I think's happened is we've just accelerated that all into a three-quarter period. And we've ripped the Band-Aid off. It's very painful in the short run, but I feel much better about prospective returns from here than I did at the end of, of last year. So I think it actually, particularly on the fixed income side, as you said, David, the heavy lifting was going to have to be done by the equity side of the portfolio for a balanced investor who might have 40 or 50% in bonds. Today, when we can expect 4 or 5% returns, maybe even higher if the Fed continues to raise rates, that requires much less heavy lifting from the equity side of the portfolio. Yeah, so you have someone who, who in a much lower return environment on equities, ends up net just as well or better. Exactly. It's, it's, it's good. So we're in an in- interesting position in something we've talked about where You've got the Fed raising rates to get inflation under control, but yet you've got an economy that appears to be trying as hard as it can to not go into a recession. <laughs> so where's the balancing act there? I think the Fed's got a got a tough job. People have different varying views of the Fed and, and what their role should be, mm-hmm. but they are adamant on trying to get that inflation number down. And we have reset. The market's reset. The market's right. done its job. When does the economy do its job or, or does it? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right. I think, Tyler. Financial conditions have tightened, which is what the Fed wants. I mean, you look at mortgage rates at, what, 7% on a 30-year mortgage now? So I was wow. shocked. I had not checked mortgage rates in a while, and I looked yesterday. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, if you're out there and looking to buy a home, you did it nine months ago, and, yeah. and you're not doing yeah. it today. That, but that's what the Fed wants. I mean, they want yep. to increase the cost of capital and the cost of debt, which uh, is going to naturally push down prices of assets and should slow down the economy. To your point, though, uh, the economy isn't fully you know, uh, agreeing with that because we're getting unemployment numbers that are still quite good. Yep. People, companies still seem to be hiring. So, you know, the question is, 
when do we go into a recession? If 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 we go into one and how severe right. will it be? If right. we do, it it would be a real weird recession right now with with such a strong jobs market. So it's a little, you know, markets kind of rhyme sometimes, but they never repeat. And I think no one's ever seen anything no. quite like this, have they, David? No. And, and in fact, I, I think I was talking with Tyler this morning and I said, you know, you, you never say it's different this time because you're right. Rhythm, there's a rhythm to history. But boy, after what we've done and in infusing all this capital into our economies, I think I saw that what if you look at what the federal government did, and just putting money into people's pockets, it was the GDP of California, Texas, and Florida combined. Right. Mm. The normal indicators that would have us all going, yes, we're firmly going into a recession, or yes, we're firmly in one, just don't seem to be. The the public is not agreeing with it. Right. That, and I think one thing I've tried to tell clients is that we we don't know some of the some of that's telling you all well, we're gonna have a recession in quarter one of twenty three. They don't know that. No one knows. We've that. either we are either in one. We could start one. We we don't know, and and that's the predicting. And that you've talked about it. We've talked about it on right. here. That's the the CNBC, the Fox Business, the the bad news sales, and we've gone into length on the Crosby episode on some of our own about just for an investor. It's it's about how you behave during these times and reminding yourselves that. That's what sells. That's what keeps the TV on is the bad news. We'll go back and look during these times. This is when people become famous, right? Right. So, so now everyone's competing to make a fairly outlandish claims that they this is going to happen. And if they're lucky enough, it happens. Right. They're the expert. Meredith Whitney. Yep. Remember her. Yep. Boy, all, all tax exempt bonds are yep. going to default. Yep. And she was on CNBC every hour, every day. Uh -huh. It was, and she got rich off That's that. That's right. There are massive incentives to make out of consensus claims yeah. and that gets you on TV and it freaks people out and people make poor choices as Daniel Crosby, who was on our podcast recently, did a great yep. job of, of kind of laying out. The other thing I'd point out, Tyler, is the economy and the stock market are related, but they're not the same. Exactly. And, That's a great uh, point. We have seen in history many times stock markets bottom during or before recessions. And if you're trying to manage your investment portfolio, just looking at GDP or recessions, you're very unlikely to time that correctly. And people need to keep that in mind. And some of the things we're doing, even within our portfolios today, are positioning for kind of early cycle. If we do have a recession, the things that will do well kind of coming out coming of Coming out of it, right, yeah. out of that cycle. Zach, one thing you wrote in our market update is is something I wanted to uh, convey on here. And so you you said, investors need to keep in mind that if if you're buying stocks right now, you aren't investing at today's prices, but for an expected higher price many years from now in the future. And then you you talk about Warren Buffett's hamburger right. analogy, but it's such a good reminder that those clients, I mean, there, there's times we have to take a distribution. It's sure. whether it's an RMD or something comes up, that's fine. But those investors that are either in a holding pattern, and we've just talked about how bonds now are paying interest and dividends. So those right. are getting reinvested. Or if you're a younger investor and you're contributing to a retirement plan and you're a net buyer of stocks, that's right. just how beneficial that is. And it, but it feels, it goes back to the, it feels terrible now, but that's, that's usually really the best time a, to the buy. Best time to buy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Warren Buffett does such a good job of breaking uh, complex ideas down, but his analogy is if you, if you like hamburgers and you're going to eat a lot of them over the coming years, you'd rather have prices for hamburgers go down because you're going to be able to take advantage of that. The same is true of, of net buyers of stocks yeah. and particularly for younger clients or accumulating clients who even, you know, people working up until retirement are, the accumulation are adding. Phase, sure. Right. Yeah. And so they, they're buying more shares of stock uh, because prices have gone down. You know, we, we have to acknowledge that, you know, we also manage money for people who are in retirement. Yep. They're not adding. So yep. that's why we do things like 
taxless harvesting, rebalancing, and having a reasonable amount of money outside of the stock market for those distributions. That's an asset allocation problem that, you know, if you work with a good advisor who has a good financial plan in place, it should account for bear markets. We know, as we've talked about previously on this podcast, if you're going to invest over a lifetime, you are going to go through many bear markets. You should expect them. That is the price you're going to pay for earning returns in the market. Right. And what you really saw over the last decade plus was a lot of people forced into equities that didn't have the risk appetite for it. Absolutely. Because there was no return anywhere else. Mm-hmm. They, they were the only game in town. And it so was save more, spend less, or buy equities. They, that's, right. that's it. Yep. And so you had people forced into that. I, and truly, I think that's what has caused some of the downside to, to be a little bit more punctuated. Sure. Because you have money there that, that should have never been there anyway. It's a, good, it's a good reminder. And to that point, you know, we're in this every day. We're looking at interest rates. We yeah. kind of understand where the market is. But if you're out there listening and you have cash somewhere, there is a significant opportunity right now. If you're in a bank savings or checking account, we love our banker friends, but many of them have not increased their interest rates. Many yep. of them are still stuck very close to zero. Short-term treasuries, three and a half, four percent now. Uh, money market funds are close to yielding three percent. There are opportunities to generate some return on cash. Depending on what inflation does, it still may not be enough, which is why we want to, you know, in our longer-term portfolios, right. we still want to keep our cash holding uh, right. relatively low. But if it's your, you know, short-term emergency savings account and you've got $100,000 in there, there's a big difference in the amount of income you're going to generate in a, a bank savings account yep. versus a money market fund. And, you know, it's not too hard to take advantage of that. Go earn yourself some money. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We've talked about, and, and we're no, we don't want clients or investors to ignore what's going on in the market. We're not saying that. Don't put blinders on. We just want to put it in some context. And I think we hit on it before, but I want to remind everybody kind of what we feel like the investors should focus on, what we focus on when we're advising. Things like the cost, the true cost of your portfolio, taxes, uh, the efficiency in which your portfolio is being managed. Any other input there? I mean, we've hit on them. I think people are becoming accustomed to that, but did I miss anything to leave anything out? No, I totally agree. I think you know, asset allocation, we hammer it so much and it's so important. And one thing that, you know, you learn when you go through a bear market is people who maybe thought they had a very high risk tolerance when things are calm or markets are rising, all of a sudden, you know, discover that exactly. they don't they don't like seeing, you know, portfolio declines. It's so important to get that decision right. And we spend a lot of time on the front end with clients t- talking about both the return potential of a potential asset allocation and the risk. And that's I think so that's critical. so critical for people to understand. Because 92%, if you, 92% yeah. of your return is going to come from that asset allocation. Only 8% comes from market timing or even manager selection. So critical. If you don't have anyone spending time with you on it, there's a problem. And I, and I think one additional thing I'd want to say is when, when you have markets like this, it's so interesting to me how you can have someone loving it when it's going up. Right. Then you have, when it's down, you go, you know what? This is just like gambling. And, you, <laughs> and you're like, no, this is nothing like gambling. Day trading is gambling. And there are elements of the markets that I can tell you well where you can go gamble if you want to. We avoid that like the plague. Long-term investors focus on their asset allocation and they're disciplined to it. Discipline trumps conviction. That's how you make money over a multi-year period. You can't make money every single year in the markets. It's just not, it's not set up that way. And if it was, we'd have one day where it all went to zero too. Absolutely right. And you know, 
if you do end up with the wrong asset allocation and then you sell out of the market in a time like this, yeah. you give up all of that additional expected return from being more aggressive. So brutal. again, just, just make sure you're getting that right or working with an advisor who's helping you understand both the return and the risk of a portfolio. Another thing we've talked about before, and it's a graph that I love, we included it again in our market update. I included on a lot of my client presentations, especially institutional clients, talking about over holding periods, the percent of time that the market is positive. And so if you just look at a 10-year or a 20-year holding period over a 10-year time frame, 97% of the time, stocks have been positive. And that's just a stat. We're not making that up or, or handpicking certain stocks. If you go out to a 20-year period and you hold stocks for 20 years, 100% of the time, those returns have been positive. Now, you can go down into one month, three month, six month, and you're going to have very different, very different percentages. But I think that really frames up what you what you two just discussed. Well, for sure. And, you know, especially if you put those numbers side by side of returns of individual stocks, yep. you would get such a different story. And again, to David's point, that's why we want to be broadly diversified allocators of capital not stock pickers because right. you could absolutely have a stock picking strategy. I can show you many that had negative returns over a 20 year period. So right. that's, that's really the basis of our process and philosophy. We also like to show people, I mean, we got a chart that's pretty cool. Um, Zach brought it to us. You look at the, the returns of the market over 20 plus years and that's pre 08, 09 really. So some two or three really tough times in the market through mid-year this year, yeah, you're making eight and a half percent a year basically for that period in the stock market. But if you're out five of the best days, you go down yeah. to about 6.8. Bottom line, if you're out of the market 50 days, that were the good days mm -hmm. in that cycle, you lost money every year. It is just, we tell people all the time, timing the market isn't how you make money, it's time in the market. And I think that's something you, during a time like this, you just got to remind yourself, this is the price I'm, I'm paying for the great returns I've, I've received and that I will receive in the future. Absolutely. Let's talk about two or three positive things that the market's starting to do. We've already kind of talked about the bond portion finally kind of pulling its weight, if you will. Right. What are some other positive things you're seeing, Zach and, and David? Earnings, uh, multiples, valuations? Yeah, so valuations is definitely a big one that I'm looking at. So Going into this year, S&P earnings, depending on if you're looking at trailing or forward earnings, there's a lots of different ways to calculate earnings multiples. So in other words, an earnings multiple is how many dollars am I paying for $1 of earnings? If you're expecting $1 of earnings and you're paying 20 bucks, then that's a 20x right. P valuation multiple. Which that's, is pretty high. Which is pretty high historically speaking. Valuations have been moving up over the last okay. 20 or 30 years. And I think there are some important reasons for that and to okay. understand why. Think about the U.S. economy. A lot more of our economy is service-based, a lot more of its technology, mm -hmm. which tends to be asset lighter than manufacturing, for example. So I think very easily can justify a higher okay. earnings multiple. But what we're seeing today, depending again on your assumption for forward earnings from here, which is an important input, somewhere around 16 times earnings for the S&P, which is near the average over the last 20 Medium. years. Yeah. yeah. So that is better than being above average. Certainly in my investing career, it's been cheaper than that. So okay. it's entirely possible that the S&P could trade at 11 or 12 times earnings, where we are really seeing some value in our view from a 
earnings multiple standpoint is some of the other markets outside of U.S. large cap stocks, which remember, U.S. large cap stocks have been the best performing asset class the last 10 years. Small and mid cap U.S. stocks, for example, we think are particularly attractive right now. If you look at a quality small cap index like the S&P 600, which strips out some of the junkier small cap stocks that have negative earnings, you're looking at earnings multiples around 11 or 12 times. So trading at a discount to U.S. large cap stocks. And in addition to that, small caps tend to grow earnings faster. They also get more of their revenues domestically. So if you're worried about currency risk with the dollar appreciating, small and mid-cap stocks can be a bit of a hedge against that. So we're increasing our small and mid-cap weightings in our model portfolios. And and we think there's some return potential over Mm. a reasonably long period of time here, given where valuations are. International markets are also cheap. There perhaps are more headwinds there, given what the dollar is doing, given some geopolitical unrest in Europe. Sure. But honestly, er everything looks cheaper than it did nine months ago. And everything outside of U.S. large cap stocks looks particularly cheap is what I, how I would describe it. That's helpful. I just think let's put some framework around some of the positives because we've we've kind of talked about the economy is trying real hard not to go into recession or give some uh, signs that it's not in one, whereas the market has definitely taken a breather. And we've already established those two don't have to coincide. Let's finish here. You guys hit on it earlier. There will be books written. Somebody will come out with something that's going to solve everybody's problems, a get-rich-quick scheme, if you will. They'll be on CNBC for six straight days. The non-public enticement in a time like this. So um, I, I haven't seen an ad for gold in a while, but you know, gold's a popular one. People like to go sit in. Real estate, this, I call it the my brother-in-law deal. You know, you get, you hear, hear of some deal, but of course, we're believers in the public market and the efficiency. We're also believers in the alternative space, but it's not a 100% one way or the other. Absolutely. I think that's well said. We've talked previously on this podcast about some of the attractive qualities of non-publicly traded asset classes. So you brought up real estate. Yep. The real estate market in the U.S. is enormous. The publicly traded real estate market is pretty small. So there's a lot of real estate out there that you can't get access to through public markets. And it makes sense to look at some private real estate investment opportunities. The same is true of private credit. So the private bond market, uh, which has grown tremendously the last 10 years post global financial crisis. The same is true of the private equity market, where we, as we've talked about previously, you're seeing companies go public much later in their lifespan. Or stay private. Or stay private, accruing a lot of the economic gains to private equity and venture capital investors. So we think those are important. What we tend to see uh, behaviorally from clients and investors in times like this is that they overvalue those investments sometimes because they don't see mark-to-market changes in those investments on a day-to-day basis the way you do uh, with the stock market. I'll go back to another great Warren Buffett analogy here. He said, if you own farmland, you don't have the farmer next door standing at the fence screaming at you every day a price to buy your land, (laughs) right? And so you feel like, you know, it's stable and it maybe grows a little bit every year. But if you had to go sell that farmland every day, you would see pretty significant volatility because there may not be a buyer for that particular day. Publicly traded stocks are liquid every single day and the market will tell you a price. That price should only matter to you if you're selling that day. Right, that's right. right. And I think that's one of the big differences. So while we think uh, a reasonable allocation to private markets makes sense for a lot of clients, we have to be careful about 
getting overly seduced by the seeming safety of public markets. I'll give you one more stat here that we got from some friends in, in the venture capital space. For really high growth venture capital, software as a service type investments, last year, those were trading at something like 30 times uh, enterprise value through going back to like this summer, summer of 2022. Some of those publicly traded comps were down to like seven times. So that's that's almost a 75% decrease. Ouch. If you were to mark those private were, yeah. investments down the same way that public markets got traded down, the reality is venture capital firms, they don't even have to value their funds more frequently than quarterly. They also are going to have a lot more leeway mm-hmm. on how they do, how it. They do yeah. it. So it's just a very different experience for a public market investor who gets a daily or minute by minute, second by second price versus someone who locks their money up for 12 years, which is very risky, by the way. Yes. And they're, but they're not feeling that same level of volatility. Yeah, and for anyone to think that they're running from volatility to a safe harbor by doing that, it's laughable. It's illusory. I mean, I understand why, sure, I, I why, why people they do want it. it I get why they it do is, it. It's uh, important to understand the risk you're taking. And, you know, liquidity is something that people undervalue a lot of times. I think we certainly learned that in 2008, 2009. You don't really care about liquidity until you need it. Boy, and yeah. that's why the majority of our portfolios are invested in publicly traded mm-hmm. assets because that liquidity is valuable. It yep. allows us to get cash to clients if they need it. It yep. allows us to sell and rebalance portfolios. It allows us to do tax loss harvesting. Liquidity is valuable. And so if you are going to lock your money up in one of these private investments, you must, as an investor, demand a higher return uh, because you are taking more risk and you should be compensated for that risk. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but our target allocation, if we're talking to a client, an allocation we take into account is how much they have in a non-publicly traded asset in private equity, private credit, private debt already when they come to us or we're bringing it to them. That 10 to 20% range is kind of still our yeah. our go-to, right? Yeah, that's right. And again, it's it's important for most clients to have liquidity. A lot of people will argue, and I think there's some truth to it, that you know wealthy individuals, families are under allocated to private markets And oftentimes they'll put up a chart that shows that foundation and and endowment type clients have 40 to 50% in private investments. You know, I believe that's true. But remember, foundation endowment clients have a perpetual time horizon, right? If they're most of them plan to be in business forever. Right. Most families uh, or individuals have more of a life cycle type of investment and liquidity is more needed there. So I don't think that most for most individuals or families, a 50% allocation to private markets is likely to make sense. Right. You know, the right amount, I think, could change over time depending mm-hmm. on how markets change. I mean, again, if it's really onerous to go public and it's getting harder and harder, the SEC is making it harder for sure. companies to go public, you could see uh, more and more companies stay private, which would argue right. as an asset allocator for a, a higher private equity yeah. allocation. I think why it's important to work with an advisor who is looking at these things, understanding the differences between public and private markets. Because eventually mama wants to see some money hit the mailbox. (laughs) Got to hit the mailbox because all that hard work you've done, doesn't matter what it looks like on paper. Mama gets what mama wants. Mama gets what mama wants. This is my immature mind, but being a sports nut, like this is to me kind of that two-a-day preseason time as an investor, it is not fun. It's not supposed to be fun. It's right. it's you're paying this kind of short term pain fee, but you know that if you stick to your plan, stick to your process, you remain disciplined. And 
again, that's why it's so hard to do this on your own. And we don't oh, have yeah, time to get right. into all that. But yeah. that's why our job really as, a, as an advisory firm is to kind of help with that discipline, help with that um, accountability. But Zach, you, you finished up our market update with this short-term pain will lead to, and the data tells us this, it backs it up, that the long-term gain is out there. That's right. And I would say if, if anyone out there is, you know, feeling so much pain that they're considering selling out of the market, one last Warren Buffett quote, we'll make it three. He reminds people that there's, remember, there's always a buyer and a seller. So if you're selling today, when the market's in a bear market, down 24, 25%, think about who's on the other side of that trade. Someone's yeah. buying that asset oh, yeah. at a pretty big discount to where it traded nine months ago from you. What's their likely outcome going to be? It's, mm -hmm. it's likely going to be pretty good. So, the, and that's just a hard game to play, as we've talked about many times. It market is. timing is incredibly difficult. Super hard. You got to trust the process. And if, if you're not in a place where someone's given you a very defined process, shop. Agreed. Shop for someone who will. Because once you get that process, the discipline that comes around it, even if it's unpleasant, will still lead you to your promised land one day. It will. It's amazing. Occasionally we'll hear from prospective clients that, you know, yeah. their advisor is freaking out oh, yeah. or having emotional problems or occasionally one of our clients will be like, are you guys okay? Yeah. Are you doing yeah. all right? And yeah. you know, it's one of these things. So I pr we appreciate that sentiment, but we built a process to invest yeah. for decades and decades. We have to, like, of course you should expect us to take into account that we're going to have bear markets during yeah. this time. So we have, the, we have a playbook for this and we're executing on the playbook. It's not fun to your point, Tyler. I like the two a day analogy, but we absolutely believe it will work out to the client's benefit. Yeah, it's like having no in the military a mortar lob over near your your base and having your commander go, what the heck are we going to do? <laughs> we never even thought this could happen. Versus going, okay, yeah. this is going to happen. Here's yeah. what we're going to do. Here's their, what our discipline tells us to do. Yes. Execute the plan. Gentlemen, I appreciate the time. Just wanted to get a quick update out there to everybody. Um, any final words, thoughts? Nope. All right. Stay, stay the course. Stay yeah. the course. Don't lose heart. All right. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Bro. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.